Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. It's the playoffs on the PGA Tour, the first week of the FedEx Cup playoffs, as everyone's looking to dethrone Rory McIlroy as he won his third FedEx Cup last year. And this year, the FedEx Cup playoffs look a little bit different. Instead of going 125 to 70 to 30, we instead start with 70 players this week in a no-cut event. Get used to them, folks. They're here to stay. Here we are in TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee for the 2023 FedEx St. Jude Championship. Yes, this tournament's name has changed many times. And if you're looking for past results from this tournament, not going to be super helpful. Look for results at TPC Southwind instead. We've got our all-star cast. Excited to have Nick Brettwish back after his 191-yard hole-in-one last week. Spencer Aguiar is here as well, and I'm Roberto Arguello. Bell is excited to talk about the tournament this week and the playoffs and how you're betting it and maybe a preview of how we're going to bet some of these signature events next year. They're designated events this year, but they're signature next year. Very excited for the Pebble Beach tournament, as everyone else is. But first... We're talking about the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Spencer, why don't you start us off with your best bet? I think there are various names to consider here when talking about how we want to actually fade this person, but I'm going to go with Tony Finau, plus 105 over Jordan Spieth as my best bet. Oh. Yeah, a lot of Spieth exposure this week, Nick? <laughs> no, we'll find out in a couple minutes. I will go with... Uh, going up the board a little bit and up market. Siwoo Kim, top 30, plus 110. Oh, I like both of those. My best bet this week is Harris English, top 10, plus 550. Spencer, why do you like Tony Finau over Jordan Spieth? I mean, it's more of a fade against Jordan Spieth in a lot of the ways of that answer. I think there's a few minor differences that my model has noticed historically and what happens during a matchup where there's a cut and when there isn't one. We obviously still want to find fade-worthy options above anything else because even though we don't have a 36-hole cut to win this matchup early, we are going to want golfers we dislike for the week. That answer doesn't change. 
However, I have found better success fading those names when considering high-end talents that can get hot for a round or two. The upside matters here since everyone gets 72 holes of golf. A lot of these matchups have the propensity to get lost during the weekend from someone charging up the board. And Finau kind of fit that mold perfectly since he joined Scheffler and Rom as one of only three names to grade inside the top five for weighted tee to green and recalculated scoring of my model. The floor is a little lower than I would have targeted if this had a cut, but I would be surprised if Finau didn't generate a few days of high-end returns, which makes this a nice spot to take on Spieth and his erratic nature. I'm curious to hear Nick's take on this of why he seems to like him, but my model had Spieth slip from 22nd to 42nd in recalculated tee to green production for TPC Southwind. The critical par four location saw him get another drift up the board and made him 51st overall when looking at those 12 holes because of his low GIR rate and poor bogey avoidance numbers. I, I just think for me, there's too much volatility here with speed. Like I understand some of the intrigue that would come into play for maybe an outright bet above anything else. But in these safer markets, I'm just generally out on him this week and I'm just going to make him beat me. I think I, I would echo on that. Um, I think you said it best. With Spieth, it's going to be volatility and the outright market. I did take him outright. I'll just skip ahead a little bit to uh, to 40 to 1. And what I like most about him, though, and I'm surprised he waited out so bad for your weighted tee to green. I'm, maybe it's off the tee issues or anything like that. But the best uh, proximities for me come within that 150 to 200 yard yeah. range, that, that mid iron, short to mid iron range that he's been hasn't really lost that at least this year when you kind of say his game's been up and down i'd say at least from the jordan speed that we used to know and love but to get 40 to 1 in the outright market i had it priced at 32 so that was one of the highest edges that i had in terms of implied probabilities so uh it's certainly volatile though so i think spencer did say it best but i'm surprised you went with fino like as much as we both usually always love Fino, his ball striking has kind of just been a mixed bag this this whole summer i really haven't seen consistent ball striking since you know, going back to like the Wells Fargo at the end of spring there when it, right after he won the Mexico Open. So I don't know. Um, with the no cut event, I think that helps Finau and the volatility of speed. I think that's that's a fine ticket. I would have that price pretty much dead even on both sides. So you do get a little bit of value there with the 105. Yeah, I think you brought it up like with the best point there, Nick. It's the no cut nature of this just makes it complicated. And so I'm really trying to shoot for the upside. Speed did see a 17 spot improvement in weighted proximity here. Uh, the total driving was okay. It wasn't necessarily terrible, but it just comes down to the bogey avoidance numbers and the GIR percentage for these smaller greens. Like if he pops, yes, I do think he pops in a big way and gives you top 10 potential. And while he obviously can't miss the cut here, I, I kind of feel like he has that back end part of it to where when he implodes, he implodes like nobody else does. And um, like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he finished in the bottom 10. Like, to me, it's like one end of the spectrum, either top 10 or bottom 10 kind of seems like I, I'm fine taking that on here. Nick, break down your best bet for us. Steve Wu. So a guy we haven't talked about in a couple weeks. I feel like he was a normal staple on this show. But um, overall, for me, I was looking for a ball striking that short to mid iron play. And with Siwoo, it's always going to be the putter. We know he's going to hit fairways, his uh, off-the-tee game, especially on this shorter course here of 7,000 yards, pretty much give or take, should fit him you know, very nicely, especially with how accurately he drove the ball at the Wyndham last week. I do like to see that come to form. Other than that, I mean, similar to what Lucas Glover said right after he won, like golf kind of starts and ends with his putter. That's pretty much what we've seen with Siwoo for the most part. When his ball striking's on, it's going to be can his putter 
at least keep him in the mix to to hang out on Sunday. And what I liked about Siwoo is just how much better his putting has been on Bermuda surfaces than any other type of grass on these greens all season long. Go back to the Sony where he won, uh, gained strokes there, and kind of that was kind of like the Bermuda stretch there of the American Express, Farmers, uh, well, the W Phoenix Open. Like, he tore it up on those greens. So to see the putter kind of go away from him while the ball striking has still been very, very solid damn near the whole summer, I'm going to take – the uh, one of the better ball strikers in my model and just hope that the the putter stays hot. And again, it's smaller greens, too. So it should be a little bit better putting as long as he can get those greens in regulation, which his ball striking says it should. I, I really like Siwoo here. My numbers got at minus 130 to finish inside the top 30. And it seems like most of the market agrees besides a couple books out there that are still laying the 110. I like that Siwoo Kim play. And last week I was watching him in one of the featured groups on PJ Tour Live. And he was finishing up on 18 had a up and down opportunity missed about a four foot putt per par on 18 and mm-hmm. was very upset. And the analyst, I can't remember who it was said, well, Hey, Siwoo Kim, very emotional player, very aggressive player, which I is a reason why I like playing him in upside market specifically because of that aggression, aggression that he displays on the golf course with firing at pins. And the analyst said, Siwoo Kim much more reserved, even though it wasn't his best putting day, was very calm. And then right as the analyst said he was very calm, you could see P- Siwoo Kim tomahawk spike his broomstick <laughs> putter. Um, and I was just – I almost fell off the couch. It was great. Uh, I really like Siwoo Kim this week. More on that in a few moments. But first, my best bet. I didn't love the normal markets where, if you listen to the show, like to bet on guys to finish 60th-ish or better. Not going to happen this week with only 70 players in the field. So I've got a pretty light card this week, and I wanted to bet on on upside. Uh, Was pretty upset to cash a top 10 last week on Lucas Glover when I bet him outright a few weeks in a row before that. Did end up making a live bet on him, but the top 10 did cash. So I'm going to try to keep that going with Harris English this week. And Harris English, a guy who the stats still don't look great for him. A lot of numbers from early on this season, and he's still been working back into form after the injury last year, the shoulder injury that kept him out for about six months. And he's his ball striking has shown better form over the last two or three months since uh, about April. And he had his third best ball striking week, or at least strokes gained approach week last week at the Wyndham, even though he did finish T33, I believe. But this week, I really like him because he's had incredible form on this golf course in his in the past. Winner here in 2013, I believe that was his first win on the PGA Tour, has three top tens in seven starts here at TPC Southwind, playing on Bermuda grass, another one of those another one of those Georgia Bulldogs who loves putting on Bermuda and just is a really good putter in general. I can see him finishing dead last year because his approach numbers aren't awesome for the year and the ball striking numbers as a whole aren't incredible. But if there's a place where he can find his mojo and perhaps reach some of that form from, from the past, I think this is a great week to target that. So I'm betting him at five at plus 550 for a top 10 this week. I love it. I've played this game with Harris too. Like I think he's back in form at times, especially throughout this whole season when we get a larger number with Harris. But like you said, third and strokes being approached last week at the Wyndham in a pretty solid field and 13th overall in ball striking. You know he's going to hit a ton of fairways. And yeah, when I run the sample size for, for me to – putting especially when it's you know average speed to fast speed grids top 15 for me so i like it and like you said the course history 
um, getting back to a spot that's comfortable for him. I think that's a really, really good price for someone that is an elite golfer when he's right. What I really liked of what you said, Roberto, is <clears throat> this is one of those spots where it's a boom or bust sort of play. So playing it up inside the top 10 market makes a lot of sense because obviously if you're going to run data, he's not going to look great in a model. Like that's that's a known commodity here, but the upside factor of it is intriguing for a top 10 bet. It's like, it's a very similar answer in a lot of ways of what I just gave with Spieth, where if it works, it works well. If it doesn't work, they're coming in like near dead last place for this event. But uh, these no cut tournaments always cause me some trepidation of how I exactly want to build it. Cause it takes away one of the prime ways that I build a model from like a head to head answer is I'm trying to find miscut equity. I'm trying to attack that volatility that a player has. And you don't necessarily get that here. So I obviously moving forward, this makes it more difficult because we're going to have this over and over again. Now uh, I don't love that from a gambling answer, but I think we'll just have to adjust as time moves forward with it. Spencer, you mentioned some of your methodology for placing bets this week without there being a cut. Let's talk about how the golf course TPC Southwind, what you're weighing with it this week, uh, just your overall preview of the golf course. And then if you're doing outrights or any other placement market bets differently than you normally would in addition to matchup bets, uh, maybe we'll dive into that as well. Yeah, so I don't think we need to spend a ton of time necessarily talking about the venue. I thought it's pretty straightforward when you look at the 76 bunkers and 11 water hazards. That helps to produce 12 holes with over a 15% bogey or higher rate. Some of the longer par four setups will ramp up that difficulty to the tune of 20 to 30% bogey or worse percentages. It's one of the reasons par four scoring has seen a massive increase at this venue over the years. But this is essentially a ball striking venue that rewards opportunities created and mistakes avoided. I did add a small percentage of putting from 5 to 15 feet since we don't see quite as many short putts here. But the plurality of the second shots will take place from 125 to 200 yards because of the 8.2% decrease unexpected approach yardages outside of 200 yards. It's kind of what Nick was talking about with speed there, where you kind of get this concentrated effort there in that range there from 125 to 200. Um, you know, to me, this venue, it's going to be the great equalizer because it enhances ball striking and kind of reduces the putter and much of that other stuff that comes into play. Like I'm still going to look for opportunities created as I talked about and the ability to make those putts, but if you weren't a top 25 expected T to green producer inside of my model, and you know, really that comes down to nine of the last 11 winners of at this course being number one that week in strokes gain T to green, I kind of built the model dis to discredit anybody's chances outside of that. So uh, that kind of would give the outright sense of the answer. I was willing for head to head matchups to take on more volatility than I would normally, just because I do think you need to put together a big round at some point And then, as you talked about a second ago, Roberto, it kind of wipes away a lot of those top 40 markets or, you know, the bet three, six, five play of where we're grabbing somebody to essentially make a cut. All of that's gone this week. So it's a much trickier board to maneuver through. I don't necessarily have a ton of exposure myself. I have two matchups that are going to eat up the majority of my card and then everything else sprinkled around it, but uh, not a week that I'm going over the top with my bets either. Maybe it'll be an in-tournament bet kind of week with matchups uh, where we learn something on the first day or see some kind of advantage throughout the waves. Nick, anything else to add from a modeling perspective this week? No, I I'd, I mean, I'd really echo like every week, everything Spencer says about the course breakdown. It's always a, a big part of how I build my numbers as well. But very, very, very light card for me. I am at 2.1 units at risk. 
less than one unit at risk in the outright market. So pretty heavy on uh, Siwoo finishing top 30 and then another placement pick here in a minute. But yeah, um, I think it's going to be a tournament that I really start to attack live, especially after two days of data too that we'll have with the uh, the strokes gain metrics. I think that's when we can really get you know, get at it with this no cut event too. So I'm excited for the live betting. I'm excited to watch this tournament, but it's just tough for me to really invest a ton before everybody tees off here. Yeah. And we saw Zalatoris. We saw Zalatoris last year come way off the pace. I mean, he, he started his first nine holes in like near dead last place. And I know he was a very hot commodity that week. I had an outright ticket on him. Uh, he ended up storming up the board throughout the week to win in a playoff over Sepp Straka. But uh, this is the kind of course that allows that. You know, you you have birdie making opportunities here and you have big numbers that are going to come into play. And if you can kind of, uh, you know, birdie or par some of these holes where players are making bogey or double bogey, you can really start changing uh, the variation of how these, you know, holes are being done. Like if you can outscore somebody by a stroke on a hole, it's a big difference here compared to some of these other venues that we look at. Yeah. Spencer, real quick. That wasn't Will Z over par in round one. I, I yeah. believe so. Okay. Is that something that like, is there any way I guess just me personally, like, are you waiting anything differently in your live modeling to find people? Like, I, I guess if Will Z happened again, would you go back to the well if you were there pre-market? or pre-tournament, I should say, like, is it just ball strikers that historically are in really good form and everything like that? And they have a bad round one. Do you fire at that time? Or like, what exactly do you look for when you're looking for live numbers? Uh, assuming that all three of us have a really light card right now, that may be some good advice to give out to the listeners. It's just kind of what to look for when you would fire um, and everything like that for the pricing. So depending on what kind of tournament that you're looking at. So I have a hundred and... I think 127 tournaments tracked in my model. So like the last 127 tournaments played and you kind of start getting a general idea of how far back you can be after each round to actually come back and win a tournament. And if we look specifically at Zalatoris here, he was in 86th place. He was nine shots back of the lead. Um, I would say normally in most tournaments, I don't want to be further than eight shots off the lead. This might be one of those events where you can go a little bit deeper than that. Yes, ball striking is going to be the key answer that I'm going to look for. If there's any player that after day one is grading inside of, let's say, the top 10 of my model and ball striking in, they went south with their short game or they went south in whatever area that has made them now be, you know, eight, nine, 10 shots off the lead. I would not discredit those players from having an opportunity to come back. I think that there is the possibility to make up strokes quickly here for the reasons of there being birdie opportunities and bogey chances that are going to come into play. But I mean, it kind of goes back to what I'm saying there. Like the, the most anybody's ever been back on my sheet after day one would be 11 shots back. That would be Sepp Straka at the John Deere Classic recently. So, I mean, kind of once you get past that nine under mark, you're really not going to find a winner. So still be careful not to go too far down this slate. But I would say nine is probably the key. If you're further than nine back, I, I'm not going to punch a ticket on that player. I, I'd say nine's damn near aggressive. I'm looking for like... John Rahm to start slow or struggle with the scrambling on round one, especially when his ball striking is kind of where it was at the open championship. If he's starting to get right, my numbers seem to think that this is a fantastic course for him. I actually have him as the favorite, uh, which isn't saying much. It's, it kind of depends what book you're on. Everybody's going to be one B to Scotty Scheffler, but I think John Rahm is, uh, is the guy that beat this week, especially after what we saw at the open championship.
See, I agree with that answer. And I just want to ask a question before we move forward. So uh, 125 tournaments tracked in those 125 events. What do you think the average first round position is of the player who inevitably wins the tournament after day one? Roberto. Are you saying to par or relative? No, on the leaderboard. Um, so hypothetically, if a person wins one event at 99th after day one and the next person wins after being in first, uh, the average would be 50 after two events there. Uh, I'll say 20th. I'm going to say, I feel like guys that go low in round one this year are kind of hanging around. I'm going to go 13. You guys split the number there, uh, 16.41. And you just see that go down throughout the event, which would be natural. 7.82 after round two, 2.92 after round three. And really, if you want to condense that data down even further, like, yeah, you have some outliers into the mix there, but you're mostly looking at guys who held the overnight lead on Saturday that are converting or within one or two shots of the lead. So I think that's the key point that I always try to stress to everybody. Players are not coming from as far back as you expect them to. Like, there's a lot of dead money that enters the market on bets of people thinking, okay, well, he's only 10 shots off the lead. It's a very, like, fine little margin there. Like, you have to be within a certain number historically to come back to win. And wrapping back to Will Zalatoris, last year in the first round, basically very minusculely over or better than average on strokes gained off the tee and on approach. Very poor, losing more than a stroke with both the putter and around the green, and then just went off the next three days on approach and putted much better. What are they going to say now? Uh, he's one of those few guys who has that top tier of approach play and maybe target one of those guys who's not in that top tier. Although if you really like Rom, uh, maybe go for it, depending on what the number is. But just my line of thinking is in a tournament with Rom, McElroy, Scheffler, those guys' odds aren't going to dip that low no matter how far back they are. But if there's somebody else whose approach profile you really love, like a Colin Morikawa, uh, for example, who doesn't putt the ball very well in round one, which happens most of the time, maybe you fire at him on 50 to one if he's six or seven back or something like that. I just want to add one thing to this before we move forward, because I think it's an interesting point and something that needs to be noted here. Uh, be very cognizant of where you were on a player with their ball striking marks before the event. I think one of the things people, and I, I hear people do this all the time, somebody that graded 130th in your model, obviously we don't have that many players here this week, but that graded 130th in your model uh, for your expected ball striking all of a sudden goes and leads the field after day one. And it's, oh, okay, well now this guy all of a sudden must be on fire. Like, no, very marginally move that data into your mix. There's a reason why we build this for over four days. Uh, I think it's an interesting point that you brought up, Roberto. Like if a Colin Morikawa is neutral or better with his approach play and, and the ball striking numbers that he puts out into the mix there, and he's terrible with the short game, that's the type of player where I would expect uh, regression to the mean of what we should be getting from him there. So uh, I think that's one of the big mistakes that people make, whether it's for DFS or for gambling in any sector of the market that you're looking for. It's far too much weight is being placed on one round. Absolutely. And I've got to play on an outright where there's some regression to the mean I'm counting on. But first, Spencer, want to get us started with your outright card? I think there's a lot of different ways to play this tournament from an outright betting perspective. I will say that going too far down this board when we look into one specific trend at this venue kind of gives me some trepidation here of going much further down than where I went. Um, I know the past four seasons are the most critical since it was a lower tiered tournament before it jumped to a WGC in 2019. All of a sudden now we have a playoff event here, but we have seen nine of the past 11 winners uh, 
at this course lead the field in strokes gain tee to green during their victory. That makes it extremely hard for me to believe that we get an outlier winner since most situations of that nature will occur when someone catches fire with the putter. I will say that every player inside the top 15 of my projected model for strokes gain tee to green did grade 80 to 1 or less for the week. The most significant outliers would be Nick's boy, Siwoo Kim there. I do think he's an intriguing play in a lot of markets this week. Uh, Justin Rose, Cameron Davis, Lucas Glover. You can make an argument that maybe Lucas Glover winning back-to-back tournaments might be too much of an ask for him, but that's essentially like as deep as I'm going on this board to try to find a winner. I decided to take a two-man card and call it a day. I did start with John Rahm at nine and a half to one. That was inside of the Bet365 enhanced market. When we think of Tita Green dominance, we're obviously going to go towards Scotty Scheffler. What he has done this season has been historical. That's the standard answer that you would expect. Still, Rom held his own in my projected category after grading only slightly behind Scheffler for the week in that area, while seeing a massive boost in projected strokes gain total when we added in putting metrics. Rom's flat stick had top 25 corollary trends on a Bermuda surface, which propelled him past Scheffler's 56th place grade. And I think the thing that Nick just said that was the most interesting to me, it is very uncommon for a player that's not named Scotty Scheffler when he's in an event to not grade as my top projected win equity player that I'm looking for. Rom was my favorite to win this contest this week. Uh, I'm not a person that goes into the single digits here and tries to make a wager. I do like Rom this week at nine and a half to one. So uh, that was my first bet. And then I took Tom Kim inside of that same bet 365 market at 50 to one. I just thought Kim had more upside than the other long shots that I named a second ago when I was talking about quality T to green projected scores. My model placed him fourth in this field because of his top 10 grades for total driving and weighted proximity. Scheffler would be one. Rom would be the other. Surprisingly, Cam Young was the third one there. I don't really see much talk about Young this week. I know he's an underdog in every single matchup that you're almost looking at. I just thought it was interesting for Cameron Young that maybe there may be more upside for this event. Um, if there's a player to me, and I would assume you guys would agree, that fits that Will Zalatoris sort of prototype, it's a Cameron Young that can strike the hell out of the ball. Maybe the putter in the short game is typically what undoes him in some of these events. Maybe this is the week that Cameron Young finally puts it together and wins at this tournament. Didn't get the outright ticket on him, decided to go with Tom Kim just because when you do have that sub 10 to 1 total, it really starts cutting down what you're able to do with your betting card there. Uh, but to me, if Kim did not get hurt at the Open Championship and then get forced to withdraw at the Wyndham Championship, I think we're looking at a 35 to 1 golfer here. I'm going to take what I thought was an inflated price on him, bet him in this market. As I said, I don't have a problem if you want to go to Cam Young or Siwoo Kim or any of those names, but I felt most comfortable going with Tom Kim to wrap up my card. Nick, what do you think about the ROM play? I love the run play. I don't know. I just, I've never bet anybody sub 10 to one. So I don't think I'm going to start now. Like I said, I hope he kind of just gets out of the gate a little slow and I can get like 12, 14, 15 to one. If I'm lucky, like I'd, I'll definitely fire away there. Uh, I really like the cam young. I gave him a big, big look. I couldn't get there with Tom Kim. I just don't know what's going on with his wrist. Obviously he was awesome at the open championship and kind of downplayed the wrist injury. I think he's just getting, getting everything checked out and get ready for the FedEx Cup playoffs. And I know he's a very competitive guy and wants to make a splash here. So I, I like that play a lot. All right, the only other outrights that I made, I mentioned Siru Kim. Spencer mentioned the other guy too. I kind of like Cam Davis. You can get 80 to one out there right now. Same price as Siru Kim in the outright market. 
Uh, I did take the bait on my boy Russ. I know the letdown on Sunday is a heartbreak, but a 50 to one for Russell Henley, who is putting the ball extremely well this season, especially on Bermuda. I'll take that. And then I did go with Jordan Spieth at 40 to one. Um, just again, more of a number grab. My numbers have Spieth at 33 to one proper. It's probably weighting the ball striking numbers from the open championship a little too heavily because Jordan Spieth seems to always play well overseas and his ball striking numbers at the open championship historically are always very good. So maybe dead money there, but I really, really liked Cameron Davis. I thought when you were talking about the upside of Will Zalatoris and how the ball striking disco lights out at times, that's kind of how I felt about Cam Davis. And he put extremely well on these greens last year. Um, so the putter's catching a little bit of fire now for him. I'll take 80 to one on Cam Davis, but he, uh, he always lets me down. So forewarning there, anytime I'm on Cam Davis, it does not go well. Yeah. Davis is trending right now with back-to-back mm-hmm. top 10 finishes. He's gained in every critical strokes gain metric that you're looking at, like 7.9 T to green at the Wyndham, 6.6 at the 3M open. Uh, Everything. He was over one shot off the T approach around the green and putting. I really like Cameron Davis's ability to get hot. He would be another player to me that kind of fits that prototype of what I keep talking about there. And um, I, I like the play, Nick. Like, obviously, I don't have much room once I go to Rom, but that would be the outlier long shot type of names that I would be looking at that. You're going to need somebody that can lead the field or be damn near near the top on it when it comes to strokes gain T to green. Well, clearly right now we see Cam Davis is putting that together over the last couple of weeks. So I think he's a young, good talent that can make a jump to win at this tournament. That's about where the cutoff point's going to be for me, though. Like, I would not go deeper than names like that. He was also T13 here last year, getting strokes, putting around the green on approach and off the tee. Everywhere. So already a really strong showing for him at this golf course. So I like the play as well. But I have a different play in that 80 to one range uh, than that one. But we've already noted it. Sibu Kim. Love Sibu Kim. I've got three outright plays. These are guys who can absolutely ball strike the hell out of a tournament any given week. And when they get on the putting green, I'm going to run around the corner and see what happens uh, when they get to the next tee. So starting off with Siwoo Kim, awesome ball striker. He's in the top 20 in both strokes, or sorry, he's in the top 30 in both strokes gained off the tee and on approach. Fourth in proximity from 150 to 175 yards. We know that proximity from 125 to 200 yards on this golf course is very key. And Rory McIlroy, who, by the way, is using a new putter today. I think it's the uh, Scotty Cameron, uh, the 5.5, the mallet. Um, so interesting for him there. Uh, we'll see if the putting improves for him, but anyways, putting going to be a big, what if factor for Siwoo Kim with the big broomstick, he's fourth in proximity from, uh, 150 to 175, 12 from 175 to 200 and Rory, sorry, went off track there for a second, but he said that you're going to have a ton of shots from 140 to 175. And that's right in that range from 150 to 175 for Siwoo. So love that in his wheelhouse. I'm also going with Corey Connors. He is the one who's in the top 20 in both strokes gained off the tee and approach. I found a rogue 66 to one still out there right now. Seventh in proximity from 125 to 150, 21st from 150 to 175. I thought that he had more upside than a lot of other players in that similar range. And we'll see if the putter cooperates. And then another guy whom I'm buying the dip on. We know him to be a really strong around the green player, Hideki Matsuyama. I went through his strokes gained around the green numbers because he had a horrific week last week. 
I think he got caught in a bunker and had to kind of chop it out. It came back into his into his uh, footstep and just disaster ensued. Big number for him. Definitely skewed his strokes gain around the green numbers. But last week, he lost 2.94 strokes around the green. And his worst ever strokes gained around the green before last week, which spans over a decade on the PGA Tour, was 1.31 strokes gain lost. So negative 1.1, 1.31. So more than double his worst ever was what happened last week. It's not going to happen again this week. I guarantee it. And he also lost strokes with the putter. It was his fourth worst putting tournament of the year. But he still gained strokes on approach, still gained strokes off the tee last week. He's gained strokes on approach in 10 of his last 11. I considered him in a matchup against Jordan Spieth or Jason Day, but ultimately I just, with the four-round nature of the event, just decided to go away from it. I like the upside for Decky, lost in a playoff here, I believe, a couple of years ago. T2 in his last start, uh, no worse than 43rd in any of his three starts here, and they've all been since 2019, so relatively recent at TPC Southwind, unlike a lot of players. So I love the ball-striking upside for him, Connors, and Siwoo Kim. When they get to the putting green, just going to hope – just going to hope. We'll see what happens. Yeah, there's very small divergences in my model. Like if you're looking specifically at matchups against Spieth, which is why I'm always trying not to give like specific. I'd rather name players that I want to fade just because it's easier to go in that direction. And then you can look at your book. But um, whether you're looking at Finau, Hideki, uh, Hatton, like any of those names worked against Spieth. I also considered that Hideki play. And um, I do have a play on Hideki that I'll talk about in a second. That's even a little bit different that gets into the bet three, six, five market here. But uh, I, I like Hideki this week. I, I didn't necessarily know how I wanted to get my exposure either. I ended up going one way with it on the bet three, six, five play, but I think this is a nice balance back spot for him. I'll also note on Hideki that in proximity, really strong throughout that, those key three buckets from 125 to 150 to 175 to 200. 23rd from 125 to 150 in proximity, 20, 20th in proximity from 150 to 175, and 7th in proximity from 175 to 200. So strong all the way through there. It's just what happens after he puts the ball close on the green. Yeah. Fellas, I know we've got some lighter cards. Let's run through the rest of our cards and starting with you, Spencer, and maybe that Hideki play. Yeah. So I'll start in the head to head very quickly. Like, obviously, the Finau play over Speeth, I'm fine, as I said, with anybody that you want to take them on with. I think Hideki works, I think Hatton works. I took Lucas Glover minus 110 over Lee Hodges. Uh, Hodges has a lot of respect in the market this week. That was interesting to me. And I was kind of confused as to why. I know we have two top 12 finishes over the past three starts, including a win in his most recent tournament that is getting mixed in with a top 15 here last season. All that sounds good. But the same sentiment is coming into play with his opponent here in Glover. My sheet saw Hodges fall to the bottom five of expected tee to green producers and weighted scores. Maybe he stays safe off the tee because he does grade well in that sector, but a seven spot decrease in projected proximity moved him from to 63rd overall out of 70 players. It just felt like to me, it was one of those scenarios where Hodges was seeing too large of a boost against a golfer that I believe is arguably one of the five hottest players in the world coming into the week. I did decide to pass on the placement market uh, as the general answer there of any of the top thirties or top forties. I think a, a Siwoo Kim answer that Nick had would probably have been the play if I did make a wager there. So I do like Nick's stance that he took there, but I decided to make two bet three, six, five wagers of uh, the over under finishing positions. I took a Deki Matsuyama 28th or better minus minus one twenty, And then Jordan Spieth 25th or worse 
minus 120. I obviously have talked enough about speed of why I think he's volatile this week, but it just kind of goes back with Hideki to the point that I keep making about ball striking courses, enhancing the better players, and then reducing some of the flat stick returns that do come into play. We see that with my model with Hideki grading seventh in this field for projected T to green at TPC Southwind. Kind of goes to Roberto's answer that that around the green game of Hideki is elite. I know the putter at times does have massive concerns. We can talk about that on another show. But Hideki from a T to green answer is as good as it gets in this field. Uh, we saw him jump to 21st in this event. That's the one thing I want to note when you add in the opportunities created with his ability to make the putt. So maybe the putting will not be quite as bad here. Um, I kind of noted this, that the no-cut tournaments add a different dynamic in these markets since everyone's going to get four rounds of golf. That's what scares me about making any of these bets here because you might have something that looks good, whether it's a matchup or one of these placement bets, and then it goes south real fast on a Sunday. And I, I prefer to get rid of some of that volatility I, I know I use that word a lot but like the volatility that comes into play with these players here but uh, I think as I said this is a really nice bounce back spot for Hideki I love that uh Lee Hodges bet against Lucas Glover and that's going to be my first impot play of of the pod this week give me well, give me all that I love it I love that one Nick what do you think what else you got on your card this week the only other play that I did not mention is Andrew Putnam, top 30. A um, little bit riding the course history of a T5 last year, but his ball striking right now is much better than it was last year. He kind of got his way around here by uh, cleaning up around the green and making a ton of putts, which that is something he should always do. He's one of the best putters on the PGA Tour. I'm riding that ball striking. This guy's not going to miss fairways. Iron plays fantastic right now. Those short to mid irons are his, um, you know, his wheelhouse. I'm going to keep riding Andrew Putnam. My numbers had this at plus 130. So to get 30 points of value on the top 30 market, I'll take it. But again, just very light exposure for me in the placement market because of that no cut situation there. Anything could happen on the weekend. We could have multiple guys shoot, you know, a 63 to a 65 on Saturday and Sunday and completely flip the tournament. So um, not really excited for pre-tournament betting. But again, for, for live in play stuff, I think this is the week to do that. I've only got one other play on my card, and it's Sepp Straka, twenty eighth or worse. He's a guy whom, if you're gonna if you're gonna bet him this week, bet him in upside markets. He's just not super consistent, and I do really respect his proximity numbers this week. He's really strong from one twenty five to two hundred yards, but the bogey avoidance numbers are not very good. Uh, he could put some others up on the scorecard as well, and just looking at what's been booing him over the last month when he's got that win at John Deere T2 at the open. It's been really solid putting the ball and did that mostly on bent grass. And of course the open over there um, on the rye grass and slower greens, very different from the Bermuda. We know he's a Georgia bulldog, so he probably puts well on Bermuda grass as well, but I'm not baking in him having a stroke game per round on the greens. Like he's been doing lately. His approach play has been pretty boomer bust, and we saw that with him losing strokes on approach and having a really poor round off the tee or two rounds at the 3M Open before he missed the cut. I think he's more volatile than than the books maybe are implying here with the 28th, 27th in the placement markets at Bet365. So I'm going to take him 28th or worst just because anything something could go wrong over those four rounds, and I don't see him putting together that steady play super often on this golf course. 
And I'm also fading him because he does have that playoff loss last year here to Will Zalatoris as his only tournament experience at TPC Southwind. So I'm going to try to sell high in this spot on Sepp Straka. I really like him. If you want to bet him outright, I don't have a big problem with it. I would maybe wait to get a better number live or if he's got an afternoon tee time and somebody goes low, maybe he goes from 55, 60 to 75 in the outright market. But I don't see the safety there for Sepp Straka. And I think things could get ugly for him if he's not on point. Fellas, any other plays or bets you want to workshop that you've been considering this week? Or are we good to go with a couple quick uh, rapid fire questions? Let's hit some rapid fire. All right. So we both, we all bypassed the 20 to 35 ish to one range for the most part. I think there were a lot of golfers in that range that I personally expected to see in the 40 ish to one range. If you had to bet someone in that 20 to 30 to one range, who would it be? Is Max home account? I think he's 35. So we'll get, we'll get there in a second. That's going to be my next okay. question. Um, I'll give you guys some names. Give me just a moment here. So looking at bet three, six, fives enhanced win market, the guys between 20 and 30 to one, let's go 20 and 32 to one. Colin Morikawa at 22, Tyrrell Hatton at 27, Ricky Fowler at 30, Tommy Fleetwood at 30, Jason Day and Sam Burns at 32 to one. So we will throw Sam Burns in here. Nick is Sam Burns, your guy. No, I, I'm going to keep riding Tommy Fleetwood, I think. He is just striking the ball insanely well. Mm-hmm. Everything about him right now, I think I, I just want to get exposure to that. I I had him priced right at 30-1, to 1, so no value on my card there. Um, but I, I really like Tommy Fleetwood here. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I mean, for me, most of these names ended up being a stay away, Roberto. Kind of for the answer that you gave, I expected the mold to be a little bit higher, and we didn't get that. Um, I think Fleetwood would probably be my second choice. I, I'm not betting him, and I couldn't bet him at the 22 to one price that's out there. But I mean, I'm sure there's a number on Morikawa that makes sense. I only had access to him at 25 at open, and I saw him at 30 in other places. I said, "Hey, maybe he'll get to 30 on my book. I'll just wait." And he went the other way. So I'm kicking myself. But I love Colin Morikawa here. You mentioned the ball striking statistics. Nine of the last 11 winners on this golf course have led from tee to green strokes gained. I think he can do that very well this week. And it's only a matter of time before he puts it together. All right, guys, same question, but just from 33 to 45 ish to one, here are the players in that range on bet three, six, five. You've got Jordan Spieth, Tony Finau, Wyndham Clark, Max Homa, Cameron Young, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tom Kim, and Brian Harmon in that range from 35 to 45 to one. Which one of those guys would you like an outright ticket if you got one available at say forty five to one? You can go Max first Homa, Max Homa, and then I'm gonna go honorable mention Tom Kim, uh, but I did not get the price that Spencer got because I, I would definitely go back to Tom Kim. Yeah, I guess I will also give two. Um, I it's always hard for me to condense it down to one. So if Nick's giving me the opening here where we're naming multiple yeah, players, I, I broke the rules first. Yeah, so I feel comfortable saying this now. I'll say Tony Finau because I do think he has that upside that we're looking for, Tita Green. I agree with Nick that the ball striking has been volatile recently, but I'm kind of okay for players of his caliber that they're able to turn it on and off. And we've seen it historically before with a name like Justin Thomas, and you can argue that Justin Thomas has more win equity week in and week out. And I know he's not the greatest player to use right now with the downward trend that he's had, but... Uh, he's been bad historically at events, and then he comes in two weeks later and wins after losing many strokes ball striking. I think Finau kind of has that same 
upside that he could put together there. And then uh, I do like Cameron Young. I, I couldn't figure out what number I wanted to get him at. He was the last name that didn't make my card. I see him drifting in the market and I kind of wish I had more room for him because a Cameron Young 45 to one versus a Tom Kim 50 to one. I don't know. I mean, I might like the Cameron Young route better with it, just with all the injury concerns of every part of Tom Kim's body right now that seems to be hurting. So uh, I, I think this is a nice spot for Cameron Young if you can grab a 45 to one. I would say give me Max Homa and Cameron Young in that range. Love that Max Homa is a guy who can put any part of the game together uh, throughout the round. He can survive one or throughout the weekend. He can survive one off day with any part of his game and still right the ship and Cameron Young, the upside for him really is intriguing. And I really liked how he looked or, or how his numbers looked in those specific weighted proximities as well this week. So as a reminder, the links and locks podcast is proudly presented by bet three, six, five, the world's favorite sportsbook brand sign up, pro, sign up with promo code action to get bet three, six, five's exclusive signup offer Bet $1 on any game and get $200 in bonus bets must be 21 or older. Offer is available in Colorado, New Jersey, Ohio, Virginia, and Iowa in the U.S. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Fellas, where else can the people find you uh, this week? I know you've got a big guest on the Better Golf Pod. Uh, I'll start with you, Nick. Yeah, at, at Better Golf Pod on Twitter, we will have an interview with Jay Delsing, who actually holds the course record, I believe, with two other people at TPC Southwind. I believe he did it on a Sunday to charge up the leaderboard and shot a 61 back in, I think, 1991. So that'll be a lot of fun. We've had Jay on in the past. Uh, I believe he's done a lot of shows with the PGA Tour, uh, XM Radio, and stuff like that. Just an excellent listen, a great storyteller. So if you're bored, um, it should be a pretty quick show this week. Just going to go through the board a little bit like we did here, more on the fantasy side of things. But to talk to a guy that's holding the course record on a PGA Tour course is going to be pretty fun. That's uh, the first time that we've ever talked about a course record. So see what was going in his mind uh, that Sunday, and I believe in 1991 will be a lot of fun. So uh, definitely check that out. Great stuff. Can't wait to listen to it. Spencer, where can the people find your stuff this week? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Tiaw Sports. I did the gimme this week over at Action Network with Jason Sobel. Uh, gonna have an article out tomorrow touching on first round leader or first round, uh, matchups and things of that nature there. And, uh, you know, Nick, if, yeah, we've never talked to somebody who holds a course record, but you keep making some hole in ones here might be you <laughs> one day. No, not when I, like I told Roberto, uh, right when we get on the show, I was mad still about that whole thing. I shot a 84 with an ACE and that's well above my handicap. So not good, man. Game's just game's just all over the place. So maybe Jake can give us some pointers too. That'll be fun. Uh, quick question for you guys. So real quick, while we're on the air, thoughts on Thomas Dietrich? Because my numbers like him. I know we've talked about Dietrich a lot. I was actually quite heavy on him in the placement market last week, so that worked out. But I don't want to go a show without talking about Thomas Dietrich. Now that we can't talk about it, Alex Noren, who charged back for us too. So you know what was so painful about this Alex Noren thing? So he charges all the way back, and then he ends up just making a disaster of his end of his round on Sunday. So where, yeah, he got some pieces there of the top 40, but unless you got ties that paid in full, it ended up being like a neutral bet. So I, I couldn't even <laughs> hit a bet on Alex Noren at, in that capacity. It's like, I was happy to not lose with the way that that tournament started. Um, as far as Dietrich's concerned, obviously 
the Bermuda putting and just the strokes gain on Bermuda in general is going to look really good. Really great par four score. That's kind of one of the things that always propels them in my model. And with there only being two par fives here and then the increase that my model is expecting on these par four ranges, I think he's interesting. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to get there just because he's dead last in this field in par five birdie or better percentage. You know, there's only two. Maybe you can make an argument that they're not as impactful here, but I don't know. I'm kind of neutral to the whole thing with him. I, I couldn't figure out how I wanted to play him. He's yeah, also, I think outs- oh, go ahead. He's also going off in the first group tomorrow. So he's going to have, or on Thursday. So he's going to have softer scoring conditions. Perhaps someone who finds his name on my first round leader article on Action Network tomorrow. Yeah. That I'm just looking sense. at guys that need to make the BMW championship. So the guys that are, you know, outside looking in and that outside the 50 of the FedEx Cup playoffs, like in terms of upside, Dietrich, obviously Hideki, we talked a lot about him. I think we definitely will bet on the come with him. Cameron Davis, maybe Jaeger. I know we talk about Jaeger a lot, but Dietrich, Hideki, Jaeger, and Cam Davis, I think are definitely guys that should make a run this week. As much as I want to bet Keith Mitchell, I don't think it's a perfect course for him. So not there, but I think Dietrich makes a little splash this week. But I'm sorry, I just uh, had to mention him. Um, But yeah, Spencer, like you said, I think a push, if we want to call it just about a push on Alex Norton, that's a win. That's, That's a win this year. Yeah, and I I also had the bet over Shank that came through. So it was a profitable event for Norn, which might be the first time that's happened in three years. And uh, (laughs) just to touch on some of those names that you mentioned in Mitchell, Dietrich, Jaeger, maybe there's a different part. And and I don't want to talk about season-long fantasy golf here. Uh, It's the semifinals of my league. I currently don't have enough players that are even qualified for next or for the BMW tournament. So I have Mitchell, Dietrich, and Jaeger on that team. Nick, you technically have a stake in my team now because you keep betting I on do. me. So maybe that means that all of this turned around, but I don't know. I have historically not had the greatest luck in these spots. I expect everybody on my team to be eliminated. Somebody at home is going to put a parlay on those four guys and they're going to do really well this week. We'll see what happens, fellas. Uh, once again, you can find Spencer at T off sports on Twitter. You can find Nick, on Twitter at sticks picks that sticks with the next. And you can find me on Twitter at Roberto a two, one, three. Thanks again to everyone who makes this podcast possible, especially our producers, Noah, David, Sophia, and Matt home game next week for Nick in Chicago. I'll be on the call for PJ tour live. So excited for that one. And hopefully all your, all your favorite players make it there. And here's to hoping you hit the green this week in Memphis. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.